Hey friends, and in this episode, we have guest host Rich Keegan back again interviewing one of his friends, Jeff Dutko, who is expert in special education. And he's going to be talking about how he has modified activities to fit his specific population. Jeff has been a longtime special education teacher and is now teaching physical education at the Jenger Center, which is a school that is located in West Hartford, Connecticut, in the U.S. of A., and in, in, um, it's part of the University of St. Joseph's. They specialize in working with students that are uh, have autism or other de- developmental needs and transition life as they move through the school system. And they, Jeff has worked with elementary, high school, and students up to 21 years old. So welcome, Jeff, and thank you for being with us. Uh, great to be back. Thanks for having me again. It's, uh, it was a great experience the first time, and looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, so what we're talking with Jeff about, and I've had a chance to uh, work with Jeff in more than a few settings. Jeff is also a, a adventure facilitator, and we've had the chance to work to work with each other for more than a few years at Rembrook Summer Adventure. So we just wanted to spend some time talking about your, I think, innate ability to make modifications to anything. And I think part of your environment, what you're working in at uh, the Jenger Center is you have to be able to make those modifications. So uh, one of the key ingredients, which you do all the time, is being aware of people's abilities and needs. How do you do that? I mean, you, you do that so innately, but what are the things you think about when you're doing that? I think one of the most important things anytime you're doing a modification is to have spent time with your students, the people you're out facilitating, and to honestly know their strengths. All modifications should be done on a strength-based need. If you know the kid's strength, you can make a game up. You can give them a position in a game. A kid who knows how to catch a ball, well, he's your fielder for that day. Kid who can throw the ball, maybe he throws the ball that day. Kid who's got good abilities, reasoning, thinking things through, he's your guy to go to in that situation. And if you can keep in mind kid's strength, you can modify just about anything. And conversely, you got to know what their weaknesses are. You don't want to guide them into an area that they're not going to achieve success in. So if you know a kid has trouble in some physical aspects, maybe you don't push them too hard to do some of the things that a normal game would require. Maybe you give him a position that he's going to succeed in. How about if you don't know? Will be how if you how about if you don't know your students that well? Do you have any thoughts on that? Because a lot of people listening to Vertical Playpen are uh, adventured facilitators, so you'll get, you won't get to see your participants over a long period of time. It could be only for a day or so. You know pretty quickly who who's your athletes, who's your thinkers, who's a combination of both. Do an icebreaker, do something, see where everybody's comfort level is, and then you go from there. You, you know, you're obviously going to have people who admittedly say, "Hey, I'm not good at this. This is not my strong suit." Or, "Hey, I'm pretty good at this. I can lead here." And so then you begin to tell your games uh, in a reflection of what your group strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in, in being able to check people's body language and facial expressions, you know, just by their, their body language, whether they look like they're engaged, if they're moving more or moving less, that can usually give me an idea where they are with that particular activity or game. Right. And it may not even be that they have a strength or a weakness in that area. They might not just want to do it. And that's half the battle is to know what your group wants to do and what each individual feels comfortable doing. One of the other elements have to do with uh, the kinds of instructions you give. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
where I work is it's a little bit complicated to give instructions because you're dealing with, say it's a single classroom situation. You're dealing with maybe 11 kids in a classroom. Each one of those kids is coming with a, a teaching assistant. So now you've got 11 adults in the classroom. So there's two techniques, either to deal directly through the teaching assistants who ultimately know their kid way better than you do. So you can give individualized instruction to the teaching assistants, and then they can pick and choose what the, the easiest way is for their student to find out uh, what, the, what the instructions are. Or you really have to eliminate the TAs completely, have them take a step back, which is the preferred method. You would rather have them take a step back and let the students do it. Right. It's not always possible. So if you're giving student directions directly through or directly to them without using the TA, then you really have to eliminate verbiage. What I've just said to you, 75% of those words didn't register with the students I work with. So it has to be direct, it has to be small chunks, and it has to be extremely specific. One thing I've learned through the years is the student population I work with, uh, now again, these are kids five to 21 years old, typically cannot be educated in their own school. So they come to us. These are kids who have trouble, real trouble with directionality, Propositions, prepositions, the use of the words left, right, up, down, over, under, those are really hard for my students to figure out. So eliminating those types of words and using more of a visual cue, uh, it seems to do a lot better than trying to explain to them just using verbal. I should have said this when we first started, but I, I think any of the the modification strategies you have or that are in this uh, research, I think are great for any population. My attention span, your attention span, everybody's attention span has just become so decreased through the use of technology. If, if we can't understand something right away, then we're not going to do it. You know, and I've, I've always been a f firm believer in having those open-ended outcomes with as few instructions as possible, because mm. that's when those modifications could really occur. All right, let's talk about things that you use, like props and equipment and all that. Is there anything that you're looking for, and do you have a special prop or a piece of equipment you've used over the years with your students, whether that be on the challenge course or in your gym? I'll talk about uh, gym props first. We use a lot of non-traditional props. Beanie Babies are one of my favorites because they're soft, they don't hurt. Kids aren't intimidated. them. And if the kid isn't particularly into the game or into the activity, well, they could be into the Beanie Baby and that could make something special too, you know, and that, that's part of the, their experience and something they get from it. Uh, other than Beanie Babies, I've learned that one of my favorite props is what's called the Kin Ball. You can get them in any color. Ours is pink. It's a giant pink ball. Picture from the floor to about your chin. It's tough to get your arms around it. It's an inflated ball. It has a bladder on the inside of it. You pump up the bladder and it's an instant hit. You can literally roll that ball out and play just pushing it back and forth, putting it in the air. Any number of ways you can throw stuff off it. And kids absolutely adore the ball. They love it. They want to be involved in games that are played with the ball. Uh, some of our favorite games to play with the ball are giant four square, where we take half a basketball court, we tape off a four square section and, and then just play big pink ball four square. You can put <laughs> kids in those squares. So it doesn't have to be limited one kid per square. Now you can fit in three, four, five kids, kids in a wheelchair, all can be participants in a, in a game like this. One of my favorite things to do is to take the kin ball. If we have a volleyball net up, 
and, and just play volleyball. Oh my gosh, so much fun. And, and nobody, and you know, and the ball drops once, twice, you hit it over, if not. And then what you do is you add another ball and you throw it under the ball, under the net. And you just try and knock it into people, knock, you know, and there's no real rules. It's just, you, it's kind of, you throw that one under. And then all of a sudden you add a rubber chicken, you throw that over and kids start chucking that back and forth. So that's a great mashup game. Just so many ways to incorporate different games, just keep adding different elements to different games. We invented a game, a takeoff of tag. It was played with a rubber chicken. We called it Hoonball. Uh, of course, Rich knows we had a student who came from Germany uh, at Renbrook one year and yep. chicken is called a hoon. So he would always call our rubber chicken, the hoon. So we brought the hoon terminology to Jengris. We played tag with the hoon ball. Then we got an egg shaker and we threw that in because chickens lay eggs and you don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And if you shake the egg and you yell cock-a-doodle-doo, then somebody has to throw you the, the egg shaker and then you're free. You can't get tagged. And then if somebody else calls cock-a-doodle-doo, you have to give it up. And then from there, you add another egg and another hoon, and you just keep going. See what happens. Just insanity. Tons of fun. If you are looking for a new, versatile, low activity that you can fit into a classroom space or any indoor location, then I highly recommend you checking out The Cube. Now, the cube is our spin on the classic spider's web activity, but is designed with more purpose and portability. So what's really awesome about the cube is the ability to be able to give it to your participants, have them construct the main shape of it, have them also construct the challenge for themselves. And there are a number of variety of activities. We have written up 18 of them. So I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode where you can find out more about the cube. And please reach out if you have any questions. You can do so by finding me on Instagram at Vertical Playpen or by emailing podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's podcast at highfiveadventure.org. Thanks for checking out the Cube and let's get back into the episode. How about things like adding time to games or in other words, timing an activity or not timing activity? How sometimes you make decisions with that? As you guys know, that's always a thing you have to keep an eye on and let the group decide. One of my favorite all-time activities is to play moon ball. And that's usually an untimed activity, but I use it when I'm doing a ropes course activity. It's kind of a warm up before we get to the climb or get to, you know, what the big activity for the day is. Maybe that's a way we get warmed up. And there are days where I say, eh, uh, today's record will be 240. And so and they'll say, no, who got 240? I said, oh, right. the, group, the group before you got 240. And well, then you have to pull them away. And then you really have to put a time limit on it because they'll never get to the climb. They want to be 240. Right. So <laughs> that's an activity you do have to put a time limit on. Other things you just, you have to sit back and see, judge where the kids are going, how much fun they're having. Days I've planned out all sorts of activities and we got to one because they really enjoyed it and I didn't want to stop them on it. But as in general, for a 45 minute period, which is what we teach at the Jenger Center for gym, uh, I'm going about 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, three different activities, a warm up for 15, another activity for 15, and then switch. 
keeping in mind that every time you have to switch activities, you have to give new instructions. It can be overwhelming. So you have to keep that in mind as well. You know, I always felt that being able to be flexible and um, even in w- working with a general population and whether that be on a challenge course or not, for me to be able to be flexible and have that kind of modification adapted thought process is a really a survival skill for working with all sorts of different populations. So you can move off an activity or slightly change it to make it more engaging. And also I have game and I, and I, we've talked about this before in that both of us have a little bit of a uh, game ADD in that we've been doing this for a while. So to roll out the same old things without trying to change it becomes a little boring for us as well and keeps us, not the facilitators, <laughs> teachers stimulated with a certain energy level that we're, we're going to be as equally engaged as well. Do you have any of your all time favorite modifications to games that you've done that have pop in your head that either have gone well or not well? And we can share back and forth with that. Some of the ones I really love that have, that generally go well and kids really buy into them, especially because again, my kids are working with an adult pretty much all the time, especially because the adults buy into this game all the time. And the game is camouflage, all-time favorite little take on hide-and-go-seek, where the person stands in the middle and uh, or stands where they're standing and calls camouflage, and everybody goes and hide, which can be played indoors, outdoors, anywhere, you know, without getting too much into the rules. But I've had TAs go crazy for this game. And they, they just, they're getting their kids so involved. They don't know how involved they're getting their kids because they're involved in the game, which brings a smile to the kid's face, makes them happy. They're doing something they, that's fun. It's a very simple game. Doesn't have a lot of rules. It's not complicated. Uh, so that's an all-timer. I love that game. Uh, the, the Really the only modification on that one for us is that uh, we have the TAs help do the hiding. Yeah. Games that don't go well, Racket sports never go well for me. And I've tried tried really hard, really hard. I've bought badminton sets and, you know, we have all these things. Pickleball stuff. Yeah. It's tough. Hitting the ball is a tough, tough skill. And so as much as I like them, I have to realize that there are certain games I just can't modify. There are certain things that are not going to work, especially for my population, but for all populations, you have to know, that you just can't modify everything. My least successful modifications are when I try and get the parents involved. They either over, way overestimate what their son or daughter is capable of doing, or they way underestimate it. And so it's hard to modify for parents because you also want to please them. You want to make sure that they're happy and they're enjoying activity. And uh, so th- those are some of my least successful modifications. If you were working with a student teacher, what would be your recipe list for modification? The things you have to keep in mind mostly is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, silly. You, you don't want to overwhelm anybody. You don't want to give too many directions at once. Uh, that's why chunking games in a 15-minute, 15-minute, 15-minute helps out because you don't have to give too many directions all at once. So small directions a modification that people overlook, I think, modification to your own expectations. You have to realize this isn't for you, it's for them. Uh, you may want something to go in a certain direction. You may want something to go in, in a certain way that you have the end outcome already planned. But if you're unwilling to modify your expectations, then ultimately you're probably not going to be successful with that activity. You have to let the students and your groups lead themselves to their own success. And I think 
that is a big thing to learn is that you have to step back and, and say, Hey, look, it's not about me. It's about them. I may think I know what I'm doing, but if they, if they got it going on and they want to do it, all the power to them. And then specifically to our population, you really have to understand processing time. Everybody's processing time, but you have to be able to step back, give a direction and maybe wait and wait and wait. And just when you think you're going to give that direction again, you got to wait a little bit more. And a big key for that for me is to also include the teaching assistants in on that and say, hey, listen, Mm -hmm. you want your kid to be successful. I want them to be successful. You think they're going to be successful if you tell them the direction three times in a minute. But what you've done is you've only confused them more. If they didn't understand it the first time, they didn't get it the second or the third time. So step back. That's the hardest thing to do in teaching is to step back and let kids process and have that kind of sense to when to reiterate something and when to just let them go with it. So those are three of the main modifications that I would, you know, say that they apply to everybody and they, they make your games go in different directions and they make fun happen. If you can live by that. Uh, and, and it's really hard. It's way harder than you think it is. I always go back to what Jim Valvano said. If you laugh every day, you think every day and you cry every day, you had a heck of a day. And you know what? I have a heck of a day every time I go to work. <laughs> That's why you do it. That's absolutely. Yeah. So Jeff, thank you for being with us on the Zoom <laughs> I-5 Adventure Learning Center Zoom phone line here today. We really appreciate your time and our, our belief in High Five is Connect, Empower, and Lead. And you certainly have been doing that for many, many years at the Jenkins Center. Thanks for being with us. I uh, appreciate it. I had a great time. I uh, hope to be back some, uh, another time and uh, we can do no, this. No, this is it. You're done. This is it. You're <laughs> only get That's it. You're done. I'm done too. We're retiring. After I heard that after three, from, t- three appearances, you get paid. Whether yeah, that's true. Cash, I don't care. Right. You can get paid in all sorts of different ways. There you go. There's, there's you know, a monetary. Can be monetary. It can be, there's a lot of different ways we can make that happen. Rich, I'm ashamed at both myself and you. One of the modifications that you and I use all the time, a highly motivating modif- uh, modification. Oh, food. Oh, my God. Substitute Twinkies for balls and all of a sudden kids that couldn't catch, they're snagging things out of the air. like. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just to explain this a little bit, we Jeff and I, when we were at uh, Rimberg, we had a each day. There's two choice periods that are uh, 60 minutes each. So one of them was a thing called Adventure with Foods. Well, our director yeah. thought it was cooking, right. but she never came up the hill to check what out check out what we were doing. So she didn't know we were playing Twinkie baseball and building towers of food on each kid's heads. Or that's a modification right there. <laughs> Just doing, you know, taking a slingshot and shooting snowballs, uh, the the host of snowballs down a hill and having kids battle it out to see who get the snowballs. That's motivating. Those kids wanted those those snowballs. And uh, when you can substitute food into a game, you've you've got their attention. If you remember, we did a workshop at Northeast AEE on that. I think someone stumped us right toward the end of the workshop because, like Jeff mentioned, we were shooting uh, – ring dings through a water balloon tosser back and forth. And then someone asked us, well, do you ever use healthy food? We both looked at each other like, oh, no. That was the, I've never heard that question air. before. Right, right. We never I think did. our mantra all, all our years in camp, we had two mantras in Adventure with Foods. One was what happens in Adventure with Foods stays in Adventure with Foods. And the other was have at. And if Rich, you want to explain have at, that's 
Well, if that would be if anything hit the ground, if I can explain this appropriately, anything at all hit the ground that you wanted to eat, Jeff would just call out, have at, and that whoever got to it first, you can enjoy it. And if it's got a couple of pine needles or something on it, like most of us, uh, I knew that as camping rules in effect. The nature spices on it. It's all good. And you want to eat it. Have that. Modified the food with nature spice. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Jeff. We'll be Thank seeing you. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks to both Rich and Jeff for this conversation. If you liked it, please share and follow and subscribe and rate and review and like and high five a colleague and make eye contact with people when you talk to them and live adventurously. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'm a guy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>